0: stare decisis. It's one of those amazing archaic phrases that continues to find its way into our language despite the fact that English has evolved so far beyond needing it, but maybe because of laziness or maybe because of the fact that we think our education requires us in the law to use the word "starry decisis, we continue to use it. It's kind of like my favorite legal terminology that is absolutely useless and unnecessarily confusing, the division between real property and chattel property. Real property. Land. Chattel property. Basically everything else that is personal property and movable. If chattel sounds somewhat familiar, it's a Norman French word for cattle. The original, movable, personal property. Why we continue to need to say these things, even though our language is so much simpler and richer by just calling it land and personal property, I don't know. I'm about to digress here. Kingly, royal, imperial, three words that basically mean the exact same thing, except for the fact that they tell you what your education level is and what level of society you lived in in an older version of England stare decisis, the legal term for precedent. The thesis of this show has always been that the United States needs to, on the roadside, pivot to Criterion racing, to fund it, to market it, to promote it, to embrace it as Being equal to the other disciplines within cycling, cyclocross, track, BMX, mountain bike, Criterium Racing deserves to stand alongside road racing and all of its brethren as a separate and unique specialty within the sport. I'm confident right now at this moment you're wondering how I'm going to bridge from that statement all the way to talking about the pro road tour. And I promise you it's a masterwork of segues. But my name is Rob Kelly, and this is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. The Pro Road Tour, according to USA Cycling, the entity that administers it, runs it, brings it all together as part of a series, is the premier collection of road calendar events in the United States over a given year. If you look at the calendar that's available today on USA Cycling's website, it lists a bunch of events from May uh, 22 all the way through the end of October. If you strip away events that are either postponed for this year or don't have dates, yet you're looking at a series of events that is predominantly Criterium Racing. There are 25 available race days for the events that are part of the Pro Road Tour that Don't exclude athletes who are otherwise eligible to be a part of it. What I mean by that, the Tour of Utah and Maryland Cycling Classic, even though you could compete in these series, you can't compete in these events because they're UCI uh, two-point pro and and one-point pro events. So domestic elite teams are not allowed to be a part of it, even though they are allowed to be a part of the bigger series as a whole. I think that's unfair to put these group these races into the series, call it a series, and then exclude a group of men and women, well, in this case, just men, because they're Utah and the Maryland Cycling Classic are men's only events from the greater competition. So let's put those two events aside. 25 race starts. 17 of those race starts are criteriums. Only the Chrono Kristen Armstrong, Joe Martin Stage Race, or the Tour of the Gila are not exclusively and entirely criteriums. And in those races, both Joe Martin and Gila have crits in them. Tell me again, how is this not one nation united by criteriums? So there's your precedent. Your starry decisis. The proof of this hypothesis. We've got Eric Hill of Project Echelon here with us today to talk about the Pro Road Tour, to talk about his team and why they've chosen to become a part of the Pro Road Tour. But before we even get to that, we need to talk about what it is. Because regrettably, there's not a lot of information out there about the series that is the Pro Road Tour. All of the events that fall within the confines of the series are well-established events that draw big crowds that draw the best riders in the country, and that draw media attention and marketing. Perfect. It makes sense. Each event, as it stands alone, makes perfect sense. And it makes equally perfect sense to try to celebrate all of these events. But when you start to create a series, when you start to create a common story from May all the way till October, that's where it becomes kind of lacking, Because it doesn't make any sense. You've got events stacked on top of events. You've got a schedule which doesn't seem to work for anybody who might have a job. But let's talk about what is the missed opportunity. The idea of creating this unified story that goes from the beginning of the season to the end of the season that has drama, that has unification, that's not there right now. Why is that not the case here for the Pro Road Tour, for the PRT? Why has that story not been told? My job here today and my job this year is to start telling that story of these events, of the criteriums that fall within them, because as we've seen, the vast majority of the events that are a part of this are crits. Let's explore them. Let's talk about them. Let's celebrate them. Let's make sure that you, the listener, knows the names of the people, the teams, and the events that make this series and that this Criterion Nation so worthy of our time and attention. Speaking of time and attention, let's talk about the Wide Angle Podium. Head on over to WideAnglePodium.com to see the full bevy of shows, to borrow Tim Hayes' phrase... Ooh, for example, Slow Ride Podcast, an incredibly entertaining show that you should be listening to and that you should choose to become a member of the network to help support this content creator-owned effort. So I've spent a lot of time talking here. We need to turn now to Eric Hill. We're talking about the top end of the American domestic road race criterion, road racing in general scene. And so we've got to bring in some of the best of the best here. And we're we turn to, of course, Eric Hill from Project Echelon, uh, the head of one of the best domestic elite teams in the country to talk about the Pro Road Tour. So Eric. How's it going in Wisconsin these days?
1: Yeah, no, things are good. The weather's finally turning. Been able to get outside a little bit, which is wonderful. The streets are soaking wet for melting snow. and You come home tasting like sea salt, but it doesn't matter. I'm outside. I'm uh, I'm ripping. I'm feeling the wind in my, air, or in my hair, and uh, it doesn't get any better than that after being cooped up inside for a couple of months. So things in Wisconsin are great. Things with the team are going beautifully. We've got... Uh, Some campaigns that have been going on to raise awareness for African-American veterans, female veterans, um, with our Service Women's Action Network here in March during Women's History Month. We have Team Camp coming up. There's just so many awesome things that are happening right now, and I can't help but just be generally excited.
0: I noticed a definitive spring in my step today because the temperatures here in D.C. were over 50 degrees, and it seems like the sun is staying up longer because I know the dredges of winter. They're terrible. You know, it's like 20 degrees below zero. You have to plug the car in to keep it going in Wisconsin (laughs) sort of thing. So I know what you're thinking about or what you're talking about. But one of the things we're here to talk about right now is something that you are uniquely qualified to talk about. And you're also the only one in two years of this show who's talked about it, which I think is curious because it's the pro road Tour. I've interviewed people from all aspects of the cycling scene, and people will talk about USA Crits, they'll talk about Nationals, they'll talk about a lot of things, Intelligentsia, Gateway. You're the only guy who's ever talked about the Pro Road Tour from a rider's perspective. Why do you think that is? But first, before you get to that question, what is the PRT?
1: So the Pro Road Tour has taken multiple forms over the last 10 years. At one point, you had the NRC, the National uh, Racing Series with, with crits, and you had you had the NRC or the PRT, the Pro Road Tour, the, the road racing series section of that. They were separate. Over time, that evolved, and now they're together. And so the PRT is composed of both top-end criteriums across the country, stage races across the country. And um, unfortunately, there's really only one Road race, um, one day road race that is a part of that now. And that's uh, Maryland, because Winston Salem one day road race no longer exists. As races come and go, the PRT has taken multiple different forms. And um, what it means for teams and how they approach it has had to evolve along with that as well. Um, And that's partly what I know we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, why do we value it? Um, but also what are some opportunities for it to continue to evolve in a positive way that helps to grow the sport across the country in both the crit scene, but also the road racing, because I, I think that there is a need and a purpose for both.
0: So let's turn to the second half of that compound question that I asked you earlier, which is the the why. Why is it do you think you're the only person in, in the existence of the show to to make it a point of saying that his team, Project Echelon, is out there for the PRT?
1: To me, the PRT uh, stands for something. And that's, that's the diversity of the talent that your team is able to put out on the road. It's not crit focused. It's not road race focused. It's all of the above. It's time trials. Chris Armstrong time trial, right? Great example. You need to be an all-around complete cyclist in order to compete in and especially in order to get results in the PRT. And we want to exemplify that. We believe that that is is something that we need to hold ourselves, a standard for ourselves to achieve. We don't want to commit to one or the other. Uh, Some guys on the team certainly have preferences. Some guys love to race crits more so than road races and vice versa. But regardless, our our goal as a team is to be the the best um that we can be no matter what the course is and what's being put in front of us and so we want to we want to be a well-rounded um team.
0: USA Cycling has the schedule as it could be considered right now for the 2021 season. You know, it, it starts out with Wilmington Grand Prix which is a historic criterium in Wilmington, Delaware, 8.8 eight, figure 8 with ups and downs, it's not easy. You've got some other incredible events: uh, the tour of Utah, the Kristen, the Chrono Kristen Armstrong that you talked about. When you approach this, when you look at these events as the director for you know Project Echelon, what are you looking at as far as getting the best guys to those races?
1: You know, I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of things. One, what is my best opportunity to get? To get results, and who who do I need to have at the table? Which guys do I need to have on this program to achieve those? And so I'm always thinking about you know putting together a group of guys that trust each other, um, that have specific skill sets that you know we we can put them into a race, and we know that regardless of how they're feeling that day, they're going to perform um, because that's just what they do. But I'm also thinking about you know the importance of reaching a diverse audience. That means you know businesses for sponsorship. That means geographically for um, for business reach as well and audience reach. And then that certainly means communities. Our uh, criterium scenes they primarily take place downtown city center, which is awesome. That's wonderful. Huge crowds, typically a party, some sort of music festival, art festival. Those types of things happen along with it. But man, there's so many beautiful places um, across this country. That we get to see because of the road racing that we have available to us. Never would I have went down to the Gila National Forest um, and experienced what it's like to to ride at altitude through that high desert. Um, never would I have you know been to Bend, Oregon, multiple times to climb Mount Bachelor and uh, to get snowed on in the middle of July. Like those are just things that I I never would have experienced if I had only raced a crit ser- series. And those are those are things that I really value. Those are things that I will tell my kids about when they start racing bikes. But those are things that have also allowed us to reach communities that we wouldn't have reached otherwise and get people excited about cycling that maybe are on the fringe of, of you know, city centers um, and wouldn't otherwise be exposed to that type of sport.
0: Who comes to these? Who are the, the teams and the players that come to these? Because obviously Project Echelon isn't alone it'd be the most boring race that i've ever seen if it was just you guys
1: so <laughs> yeah we're definitely not alone
0: who's coming to these races man it and that's that changes every
1: year you know that right like it's it, there's five teams that were that were there 3 years ago that aren't here today but it, it's the, the the rallies the hencappies. um it used to be you know bmc devo you'd get your your south american teams and your mexican teams coming in um you get Canadian pro teams, X-Speed United, um, those types of programs. And then we get a lot of European and Aussie teams coming over as well. Mobius Bridge Lane, they've come over a couple of times for the Tour of Utah, for Joe Martin Stage Race, Tour Gila, and uh, Cascade Classic. So uh, those big races, they offer unique opportunities for the stage race experience. Uh, multi multi day racing over long distances, long periods of time that you really, I mean, can't get unless you're in Europe. And so, coming to the U.S. is another great option to do that. And it it really is an international experience.
0: My understanding of reading the rules that are available online at you know at the USA Cycling website is is for the purposes of the PRT as a a series as opposed to a set of standalone events, that that is open to UCI Continental teams, UCI Pro Road teams on the men's side, so that that mid-level UCI Pro Road, category for the men, and then the domestic elite teams, which is a category of teams like Project Echelon, who are on the on the rise, sort of, you know, not just your garden variety club, but a set of people who are trying to get to that next level or elevate themselves to a a continental pro team. When you look at this cadre of, of human beings, when you look at this Lineup that shows up there, you're you're seeing some of the best names that you can find in American crit racing, in American road racing, in American time trialing. You know, on the men's side, Alex Hohen will show up, or Noah Granigan will show up and line up right alongside you and the guys on your team. On the women's side, full set from Rally, you know, full set from Tibco. The question here is, is like, why? why don't I hear a lot about the results of these races as a a series? You know, for example, who was the podium for the series for the PRT series in 2019 for the women or for the men, you would think that that sort of thing would be able to be committed to knowledge. And like, it's hard to find that even on the USA cycling website.
1: Yeah, no, it it definitely is. And, And that's part of the, I guess the opportunity for growth that we have, right. Is to tell a better story, to, to tell something that's more compelling, to build that storyline out, to build content around that, that is consistent. It's predictable. You know, people know that, Hey, there was a race this weekend. I can expect that on Monday, I'm going to get an updated, you know, results sheet and I'm going to get a 15 minute podcast or YouTube video. That's going to explain what happened, how it went down and, um, and what the current standings are, right? Those are opportunities that, that we have in USA Cycling and in cycling in general in the U.S. to be able to improve on. But that's a community effort. I don't think that's any one organization's fault. Um, I think that it, race promoters have to come together. The NAPRD, the National Association of Professional Race Directors, need to come together and set a standard for that. Teams need to come together and set an expectation for that, and USA Cycling needs to um, come come in and support it. and And it's going to require the advocacy of all three of those stakeholder groups in order for something to be to be successful on that front. I will say, NAPRD has done a ton of work over the last two years, and I've had the privilege of being a part of those conversations and in a couple of their their closed session meetings. And it's quite incredible to see how those organizers are beginning to talk with one another and share ideas, share resources, even volunteering at each other's races. That's something that I, I actually know was not happening even five years ago. Um, they'll, they'll flat out tell you that uh, it was more competitive versus collaborative in the past. And uh, now they're starting to see the need for that change, and I believe the same thing is starting to happen. We're a couple years behind, but um, on the team side of things as well. And so again, we all need to own that. And you're right; it is a problem that you can't tell me who won the PRT in 2019, and it's actually an even bigger problem that I can't tell you who won the PRT in 2019. I can tell you where my team finished, and I can tell you, you know, where where my guys were in the standings, but yeah, as a, as an overall picture on men and women's side, um, I couldn't tell that story.
0: So just so that everybody knows, on the women's side, it was actually Chloe Chloe DiGert was on the top step of the podium, followed by Brody Chapman and Krista Doble Hickok from from Rally. On the the men's side, it was um, need to scroll James Pickley of Elevate, then Stephen Bassett from Rally, and Alex Hohen. The thing that the thing that confuses me a little bit here since we're talking about team is the the scoring it's not really clear it's not like scoring in bike racing is ever very clear it, it's super easy to figure out who gets first second and third but when you start attaching points to first second and third it it does become messy I I know I'm the guy who created the second most confusing scoring system in the United States with the Mobber Road Cup But like your team ended up sixth place in the men's standings in 2019. But if you look at the results, Justin Williams and Corey Lockwood from Legion scored more points than your team if you put their individuals together, but they don't show up anywhere in the team competitions. And it's kind of this challenge. And this is the same challenge that we've got with USA Crits is that these are our invite events. There are teams that are coming to these events that are part of the overall series or continental pro or domestic elite who bought into this concept. But then you've got all these other people who are showing up because cat ones can race, you know, you as a cat one, you can walk up and sign up and be a part of armed forces or Tulsa, which are two PRT events. So, You know, how do we create league concept or genuine team concept where it matters, where you as a team or as an individual rider have to legitimately buy in to the series to make the series something more than it is?
1: I think that... There was intention to do that, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I believe the intention was when they developed the domestic elite team category – and then had the pro category was like, those are our two primary stakeholders that are, that have the capacity or have the ability to be scored and compete towards the pro road tour. And those points would allow you to gain entry into key events. They could be used to advocate for yourself to get into international events, um, whether it was South America or Europe or Canada, and then, that it would be used to give you um, entry into pro road nets which used to be only open to teams and riders that had a pro card. Uh, but now domestic elite teams have the ability to qualify for pro road nets. And that's something that's relatively new as of four years ago, I believe. Um, our team was one of the first domestic elite teams along with Gateway and I believe uh, elbows that had the ability to compete at U.S. Pro Nats um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, it was based on that points that point system and points earned across the Pro Road Tour uh, up until two weeks before uh, U.S. Road Nationals.
0: And I think that's that's a critical step because it does broaden the scope this inclusion of the the domestic elite teams. Because like if you do look up as of 2021, how many different continental pro pro road tour or world tour teams it is, you know, you're not looking at a huge variety. You've got 12 total teams with those. So opening it up to the domestically teams does fill out a more comprehensive field, but still you, you know, you you still are, are looking at the fact that it's not, everybody who should be included and also some of these events that are a part of the prt are events like you know the maryland cycling classic which is a uci one point pro team uh event or you've got something like the tour of utah i don't know would project echelon be invited to utah would it be invited to cycling classic
1: yeah, no, we would have to have a Continental Pro license in order to compete in those events. We can compete or in uh, everything up to a 2.2. So, you know, uh, the next tier, I'm sorry, a 2.1. So the next tier down uh, stage race. So, 2. Pro is, there, is the new 2.HC that it used to be. And so you have to have a world tour or be a special invite Continental team in order to compete in those events. Anything below that, Same deal. If you have a continental or a world tour license, automatic. If you're um, registered to the UCI, like we are, you can get a special invite to do that at a 2.1 level. And then at 2.2, we have an open invite too.
0: Is that fair? I mean, if your team is trying to compete for a series for a overall ranking and you can't get into two of the events that happened during the course of the year, you know, is that an even playing field with a, a team skyline, which is a UCI Conti team?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, if, if I'm a hundred percent honest, I, I look at the start list for some of those events in years previous. And, um, I, I believe that we should have been there. We just didn't have the money to buy the license. And that that was a choice thing more than anything. It was, you know, either I can support my guys at a high level with um, travel and equipment and I can treat them well throughout the season or I can be, you know, stingy and say, hey, you guys are on your own for all those things and I'm going to buy a pro license for us and we'll be able to get into these two events in uh, North America. To me, that didn't make sense. You know, it's not fair to my guys to have to race 75 race days, um, nickel and diming their way through it, just so that you know I can put my team on the line at a Utah. Do they all want to be there? Do I want to be there? Absolutely. But I need to make financially sound decisions to ensure the sustainability of my team for the for the long term. And I, I do think that's part of the reason we see so much turnover in teams is they believe that the best way for them to get sponsors and to uh, have longevity in this sport is to be on the start line of those biggest, bigger bigger races and to get a result. Um, I think the tide is changing on that a little bit in that results are still important, but consistency is more important. And your presence in the communities that you're racing in uh, and your presence um, in the social space is actually even more important than your results in a lot of cases. Paying for a license to get to a start line I, I don't know that I don't. I don't know that it, that is fair. It's the system right now, and uh, it's what we have to have to work with. And slowly but surely, we're building our program app so that we can have that license and we can be at the start line of those events. But I I do think there's another way to go about it. But again, that's going to require concessions and collaboration uh, from all parties, from teams, from national governing bodies, international governing bodies, and race promoters.
0: We're kind of at this point where we need to talk a little bit of admin here because, and I don't mean to keep going back to the USA Crits analogy, but it is the an alternative to the PRT in the sense that it is this overarching structure that everybody can understand. You know, it's a bunch of different events that are brought together within the confines of this series and they play out of a, a, a season long story. It's really easy for you and I, and in the average fan of, of bike racing to go, okay, tour de France. That makes sense. It's 21 days. It's X number of miles. It's these teams. But then when you start to say, well, who's the, you know, like switch over to cyclocross, who's the world cup, you know, how many world cup points do you have? And, you start to draw these things out, it becomes a lot more complicated and it also becomes administratively and bureaucratically challenging to run. So you, you need organization, you need people in charge. Is there somebody who's in charge of the PRT? Is there a a Scott Morris of USA Crits for the PRT? Uh, no,
1: it's a, it's a USA cycling structure. It's really facilitated by the team there. Um, I believe Chuck Hodge um, at USA Cycling is the, the director of that. I, um, I hope I'm not wrong on that front. But and, and I'm telling you, they work, re- they work really hard to communicate with people. And I, um, I wouldn't want to walk a day in their shoes because it's a lot of people to try to please. Um, and it's a lot of rules and regulations to try to follow. I don't think that uh, USA Trits is is far off of what a good model looks like. I I think Scott Morris has a great idea. I just wish that it was more diverse in the racing opportunities that it offered, because there are people that are passionate about road racing and stage racing. And it does have a place in cycling history and culture and in the future of cycling, in my opinion. I know people would argue against that and would say, no, the, the future of cycling needs to change. I still think that there is a, a massive place for that and a need for that. Um, there's a nostalgia behind it that just allows us to to tell stories that we would never, you know, be able to tell otherwise. I would like to see something like that evolve into uh the, the current PRT model where there is that consistent set of teams, there are those consistent set of races that we go to, there is a consistent scoring structure with a leader and our leader's jersey. Um I think that would be brilliant. I think it's it's just a lot more stakeholders uh, to to pull together to make to make it happen than USA crits is.
0: These are ambitions and goals that we want. We want leaders' jerseys, we want consistent stories, we want, you know, some type of marketing or media campaign which will allow us to tell a story but like just look at the events is there an explanation as to why these events are a part of it or you know you've got something like the chrono kristen armstrong i think that's a fabulous event and i think that's something that's really as a a time trialist or a, a you know a reformed time trialist as i might be i love time trials but not everybody who's a part of bike racing wants to do time trials because they are a very specific beast and they require equipment and money and expenditures. You know, the same thing with, you know, some long stage races, do the events that comprise what the PRT is now, do they make sense as they're put together? Or is it just kind of like, these are big events, we brought them all together in one place, they they should be together?
1: The, the very honest answer is that that the PRT is put together very much like the start line of the Tour of Utah. The people that have the money and the resources and the support from their communities to purchase a license and to have a big enough prize purse that would allow them to be on the PRT list are a part of the PRT calendar or a part of the UCI North America calendar, right? The people who cannot put together the $20,000 prize list, who cannot pay for the spot on a prt calendar or not you know and it's something that big races like intelligentsia cup or tour of america's Dairyland, right some of the most prominent multi-day events um, in north america have wrestled with for a long time do we want to put our resources towards this or do we want to put our resources towards putting on a professional racing experience for all categories at our event and so it, it is a little bit of a battle of riches and and that is how that calendar is determined likewise the logistics of the calendar are often planned around community events which makes sense right like i would want to have my race put on when my community's got their art festival or their music festival or uh their you know their founders day parade or what have you that makes sense people are coming together already resources are being put into making it a safe place, having cops on site, like all of those things make sense. But when you look at the resources required from teams to attend those events, that doesn't make sense. Because there's times where I need to go from Gila, New Mexico, to Rochester, New York, in a matter of two weeks, only to turn around and get back to You know Louisiana, and that's not an accurate picture this year. um, But that has been the case uh, in years past. We we looked. There was one year where our team van drove literally coast to coast five times in one season. That that's that's a wear and tear on team resources, on team personnel, just the geographic nature of North America relative to Europe, or Belgium or France, like an individual country uh, in Europe. is enormous. And so trying to put together a a logistically friendly calendar while also understanding that our communities aren't as welcoming um, with open arms to bike races and shutting themselves down to have these races go on as it is in Europe because of a culture piece, it's a difficult puzzle to put together. And I understand, you know, why we are where we are, but that's also why, again, USA Cycling and APRD are having the conversations they're having, because they've they've taken the time to to listen to those stakeholders and uh, try to understand some of those frustrations, and they've seen the struggles that teams have had and teams are, you know, have folded. They've, they've had to leave the sport because of it. And they know that, that, that needs to change. And teams know that we need to be advocates for ourselves if we want to stay around as well.
0: When you start moving bodies and bikes and wheels and things like that across vast distances in short periods of time, it becomes very expensive. It becomes very challenging and wearing on the equipment. But like, you know, for example, here, The June 5th, 6th Armed Forces Cycling Classic, you turn around and in four days you have to be in Tulsa. That's a long drive. Also, coincidentally, you would have to go Friday night in Tulsa then Saturday in Tulsa, Saturday night in Rochester, because they're on the same day, back to Tulsa again. And you've got kind of like these weird overlaps or partial overlaps, Gateway Cup overlapping with Maryland Cycling Classic. So you're forcing teams to choose from, you know, do I want to be here or do I want to be there? Do I want to be at Sunny King and then have to drive from, Anniston, Alabama, all the way to Boise, Idaho, within five days for the Chrono Kristen Armstrong in the, in the Twilight Crit in Boise. These are logistic challenges that can be overcome. I mean, we see football teams travel from one part of the country to another, but then again, their budgets are a lot bigger than the average domestic elite team or even the average pro Conti team.
1: I think there's a lot of a lot of things in what you just said um, that we could we could talk about. You know, one of the things that actually we were talking about is as, as a we had our managers meeting today amongst the Project Echelon staff uh, as we prepare for for team camp in Fayetteville, Arkansas next week. One of the things that we were kind of joking about, but very serious about it as well, was you know, in in North America, you either need to have a team of seven or eight guys or you need to have a team of 20 guys. There's really no in between. Uh, you, you know, if it's seven or eight guys, you just pick and choose the races you want to do. Um, and the same guys travel together, race together every single time. If you want to try and truly win, you know, win the PRT and be present in all of those different races, you need to be able to field as many as three different rosters at any given time, because, you know, you Again, it's the geographic distance piece um, and and the way the the calendar works. So, in order to to have that presence um, across that space, you, you got to have a, a sizable team. Uh, the other thing we were you know talking about, and you mentioned it with the NFL. What would this actually look like if every team, instead of you know, I, if I look at my my budget, probably forty five percent of it goes towards race entry and travel. Maybe close to fifty. Like, what would it look like if we just found? You know, what is the what is the average cost of that? And we came up with a number. We said, okay, forty-five thousand dollars. Teams can buy into the PRT, right? For forty-five thousand dollars, and for that, we're going to help you with transportation of all of your equipment, like the NFL does. Put it all on a um, on a big flatbed truck and drive it from, you know, place to place. When you show up, your stuff is there. Uh, we're going to provide you with full-time mechanics. So everybody, you know, just like they have medical staff in the NFL, we would have mechanical staff and, uh, they would service all of the teams ensure their equipment is up and running and, and what have you. Um, and then because there's going to be this mass travel, um, we can then, you know, lobby to, uh, airlines and other travel industries, and say, "Hey, we want to work with you. We're purchasing literally 300 flights. What discount can you get us to get these folks from one place to another? And like, how can we do that on a unified front?" Same with housing and hotels. Like, what hotel is going to say no to booking every single room for a week straight and knowing that they're, you know, the surrounding restaurants and stuff are going to get a ton of a ton of business? Um, they're not. They're, they're going to welcome you with open arms. So it's a matter of us, you know, again, uh, rather than competing against each other when we're not racing and working together when we're, when we're um, not on the road, right? Working together when we're at home and doing our planning and logistics pieces to make that stuff more sustainable. If we started to put our energies there, I think there's a lot of ideas that could certainly come to life to support what you were just talking about.
0: You know, since we're talking about sustainability and we're talking about money and using resources, you know, I know one of the big ambitions for your team is leaving the United States this year. You had, you know, offers to race some Spanish races and I think some French races in 2020. Everybody here was so excited to see how Project Echelon would stack up against Europe's best. And, you know, it didn't happen your goal is to go back there this year. I know that you've been reinvited to some of these events and that's going to cost you a lot of money and that would cost any American or North American or Central or South American team a lot of money because there's an ocean between us and, and Europe. You know, how does that sustainability look or analysis look for you, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about France and Spain?
1: There's a couple pieces to that. So one, you know, if I look at, I'll use Joe Martin stage race as an example, entry into that race is roughly $2,000 and then travel to and from for my, for my guys is probably another 1,500. So we're at 3,500 and then housing and food is probably about another 2,000. So we're at $5,500 for that race, which I love. That's one of my favorite races in the US, but that's, that's pretty pricey. Um, When I look at our Europe trip, average round trip flight, $850. The vehicle rental for, for two full size equipped vans with racks, you know, is uh, for the month that we're going to be there is going to be roughly two grand and housing is comped by the races. Food is comped by the races entry. We get paid to race because it's, it's supported by their government and their, um, their economic marketing boards. So we're actually, we're actually getting paid appearance fees to be there. So the, the opportunity, you know, the cost is getting there. Um, but once you're there, the cost is quite minimal. And that's why we see a lot of these teams, wildlife, for example, right now, is in, in Eastern Europe doing a big block of racing. You know, f- for them, the cost of getting there uh, is the expense So once you're there, you stay there for a good amount of time. You do your racing, you come back to the States. Hincappy's done that for years. They did it when they were BMC Devo as well. And we've seen other top teams, you know, uh, KHS, Elevate, they've always went to, to China and Taiwan and done those races very similarly, right? Take a, take a big block of time and go and do that. And so again, the cost is getting there. And once you're there, it's, it's, um, a relatively cheap endeavor. Um, compared to what it what it is in the United States. So, but that's because they have that support system and that network around them where they put all of the teams up in, a, in three hotels. You know, they get a really good rate at that for doing that. They go, then they're able to go to their economic marketing boards and say, hey, we're bringing these guys in. We're bringing these fans in. Here's, this is going to bring you $550,000 in two days, you know, just purchases and restaurants and what have you can you comp some stuff back yes we'll we'll do that for you and so those are the conversations that they're able to have because they function on a very unified front and so we need to be able to figure out how how to do that we need to we need to write the algorithm for that in the us
0: do we need to have a conversation about what it means to be professional in in the domestic racing scene or theory or mindset because you know as we've we've come to learn the Amount of money that people are being paid as bike racers is in a lot of cases not as much as we probably initially thought of. You know, especially, you know, when you look at the domestic scene in the United States, men or women, it's it's not living wages sort of thing, you know, everybody's got to have a second job.
1: A side hustle. Yeah, yep. a
0: side hustle is your bike racing career essentially, you know, because you've got to have the other you've got to have the other income to support it. And I love what you're saying about, you know, Getting there is the hard part because that's kind of like why I do Toad or Intelligentsia. I'm there. I'm going to get all this racing in, you know, at a relatively quick pace with a low initial buy-in, and I might as well just keep doing it, which is why I do it. But with, with the domestic professional racing scene, I don't see a lot of difference between what you do as far as Project Echelon or any of the guys on your team and what somebody on Skyline is doing. Yet they're considered UCI pro because they bought the Conti license. I I think we need to have this conversation about what America says is professional in bike racing versus what we're being told is professional when it comes from Europe.
1: I was in a conversation, um, large group, so I think I can say this because it was a public forum. But USA Cycling, many many years ago, essentially made up the pro designation, what it is to be pro versus elite versus. And so, therefore, we had elite nationals and we had pro nationals, and it was a means to get more people involved and make the sport more accessible. Uh, in Europe, you you have either you have elite or you have community. Like those are the two, there's no difference between them. So you either have your elite races or you have your, your open races. It it removes those to a degree, somewhat arbitrary designations that are based on, again, on, on finances. But if we were, yeah, if we can remove some of those barriers and really the, the barriers are our name designations at this point in time, you know, I think it opens up then opportunity to go to, get more sponsorship and go to bat for ourselves because I can say I do have the opportunity now to go and race Maryland and Utah and not spend 50% of the sponsorship you're going to give me just to get to the start line. Right. Because that doesn't, you know, when, when people ask like, what's my ROI, what, what am I getting for, for this? If, if I tell them, well, you're going to literally your sponsorship is going to get us to two races like that that doesn't feel very good. Like that's not a win for them. That's not a, that's not a pat on the back. I've made a difference in these guys' lives or I've reached 15 communities. It's, it's a pretty, uh, kind of a pretty dark tone there. So uh, yeah, I, I think that we do need to have a conversation around redefining that and what it means to, to line up as a, as a pro rider in the U S. And I think, you know, I don't, I've, I've never been one for, exclusivity. You know, I don't need, I don't need somebody to, to call me pro, but what I do want is for people to have something to strive for. I remember my first NRC race that I got invited to do. It was Lake Bluff. We had to submit an application. This was like 2010, maybe. Uh, so like right at the tail end of the peak years of, you know, UHC and, uh, Kenda and, you know, like the, just uh, more teams than than I can even think of now and I was scared on my freaking mind I I I knew I wasn't over my head right like but I had something to strive for it like kept me working really really hard and now when like when I'm in the dumps like I honestly look back to that race like that race and I'm like dude like 10 years ago you like you wanted nothing more than to get to the line like don't take that for granted. Now, you know, um, you you're doing this work for a reason and you need to hold yourself to a high standard so that other people hold themselves to a high standard so that the sport continues to pro- progress here in the U S and if we don't take that responsibility on ourselves, then it's, then it's just going to crumble at the foundation around us.
0: So do you guys get on the phone team directors? Do you, do you call up CCB foundation or CS Velo and say, Hey guys, this is the idea that I got. Is there that kind of an organization?
1: Yeah. Um, it was going really strong for probably a year and a half. Uh, we, I think it, we made it as teams connecting on a regular basis till about August this past year. And then when it was apparent that pretty much the season was gone, we let it slip a little bit. I can tell you the NAPRD meets bi weekly Monday. And I've, like I said, I've had the privilege of being a part of those, some, some of those conversations because of the work I'm doing with the Echelon Racing League and the virtual space and the the work I'm doing to collaborate with those race promoters. And so that's really wonderful to see. And we do need to get back on that horse as, as team directors. Um, and I'll give Paul Abrams from, uh, from Elevate massive credit for really being one of the the key leaders in that work up to again, August, you know, next year, but that needs to be owned by all of us. We probably all need to be saying, Hey, come on, like, let's, let's work together to get this going again. But that's also why Frank and I are so passionate about and putting so much time and effort into the virtual racing league, you know, with the echelon racing league that we're doing and getting in real life teams involved, because I have connected with more frequently and in more depth with more purpose with, Team directors from across the country that I've you know really never talked to or collaborated with before. Like I literally I know some of their kids' names now. That's that's important, right? Like if they call me and say, "Dude, I need a favor. Can you help get three bikes from from Gila to Redlands?" You know, I'm gonna say yes. Before I it would have been some random guy calling me asking me to do a favor that was gonna make me go out of my way and take team resources away. Probably would have said no. So that right there is a a change in the conversation. So, you know, I I think that efforts like that, things that bring us together more frequently, have a lot of opportunity to help.
0: It's amazing what happens when we actually talk to each other. We can accomplish so much. (laughs) Isn't
1: isn't that what 2020 uh, should have taught
0: us? Yes. And I want to ask you a million questions about the virtual racing space, but I feel like I'd be stealing the uh, thunder of my friends at Nowhere Fast. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct people to the interviews you've done with Zach and Mike Swart and KBH about the work that you're doing because it's it's fabulous. It's it's really been such a thrill for a lot of people who missed out on racing and who wanted to get that that vibe
1: but again who are who are we partnering with who what what uh, organization are those races a part of they're all prt races right because i I i truly believe that if we can bring them together more frequently with a common vision and common mission and have the teams be a part of that conversation we can build something monumental and i think we're starting to make that shift and so that's why we decided to focus on those events
0: so you guys are about to launch your campaign for 2021 Uh, you know, the first team race, if I'm understanding this correctly, is tour of St. Louis, which will be happening right as this episode comes out. It's going to come out on the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Hey, thanks. Is this going to be the year that Project Echelon cracks that top five?
1: Man, I hope so, because we we have ambitions to win it. And I know that's that's a big ambition, but. I certainly wouldn't be putting the amount of energy that I'm putting into this if I didn't believe that it was possible. You may look at our roster and uh, not see big hitter names that uh, are, you know, have been frequent high flyers in years past. But I can tell you that we have a lot of guys, the fastest guy you don't know about, right? There's a whole podcast on him, Zach Gregg, and, and guys like him on this program that are hungry and believe that you know this can be their year, and so uh, we're going to use the PRT as as a as a launching pad and as a means to to show the the uh, the multiple abilities and uh, diversity of the of this team, and uh, and hopefully bring some of that success to Europe as well.
0: It's ridiculous how Zach Greg's name mentioned, brings a smile to my face, but that guy. He's I got a special place in my heart for him and I'm so glad that he's with you guys. He's
1: already won a race this year too, so I'm super pumped about that.
0: So, we will find out how things go for a Tour of St. Louis and we'll be checking in with you throughout the course of the year to see how you guys are doing and I'll see you guys out on the road. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, th- thank you, Rob, and uh let's keep the conversation going everybody and and do do a, do your part to uh, to talk to the people around you to advocate for the change
0: that, uh, that we need. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. A proud member of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. Next week up, we've got a fun show with Michael Bodekheimer and Matt Littleguy-Allen. Obviously, you recognize Michael from the Media Pit on Cyclocross Radio and Matt from his wonderful work that he does on the Slow Ride Podcast. So this is a like pan, wide-angle podium network show. It's going to be great. We're talking about food. We're talking about coffee. We're talking about pizza. We've got some hot takes. We've got some love that's directed towards St. Louis. We've got it all. Matt confesses to maybe a little bit of light treason or potentially just theft, but you never know. It's all worth checking out this time next week here on the Wide Angle Podium. Join us again next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.